last weekend, I got into trouble for something that's very unusual for me. As some of you know, we were heading out in our weekend away last weekend, and I was collecting people in our minibus. But I, just about every door that I stopped at, the people I was picking up were not pleased to see me. Now, I didn't take it personally, and it wasn't because, and they didn't complain because they didn't want to go on the weekend, or they weren't given out because they had to come and uh, travel in that, dis- uh, that distance in our comfortable minibus. The problem was that for once, I was too early. Lorna had told them, I'd arranged with them, that I'd pick them up at a certain time, and I was about 15 minutes early before that. Some of them were still getting ready. Some of them were still packing their suitcases. Getting our timing right is really important in lots of circumstances. And Jesus believed that too. He was committed to getting God's timing and keeping to God's timing in his ministry. And this is one of the things that he's, he taught us in John chapter 7. So we're going to continue looking at the book of John, the John's Gospel. And we're going to read from uh, chapter 7, verse 1 down to verse 24 this morning. So you can get a Bible and, and open it up and, and follow along, or you can just listen this morning. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews were, he, were, were there were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish feast of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers came. They said to him, You ought to leave here and go to Judea, so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, the right thing for me, right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I'm not yet going up to this feast. Because for me, the right time has not yet come. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the feast, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the feast, the Jews were watching for him and asking, where is that man? Among the Jews, there were widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the Jews. Not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, How did this man get such learning without having studied? Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. He who speaks on his own does so to gain honour for himself. But he who works for the honour of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? 
yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle and you were all astonished. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a child on the Sabbath. Now if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing the whole man on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. So the last time we were in John's Gospel, a couple of weeks ago, it was the time of the Jewish Passover, which is around the month of April. That's where we get our Easter time from. But now in chapter 7, it's the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. This is also called the Feast of Ingathering because it happens uh, at the end of harvest, around October time in our calendar. That means that it was for a whole six months that Jesus went around Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. But Jesus didn't stay in Galilee for half a year because he was afraid of losing his life. He wasn't laying low because he was afraid that somebody would kill him. Because Jesus knew that this is why he'd come. Later in John's Gospel, we'll read in chapter 10, that Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus came from the heaven to earth because he was willing to go to the cross to become sin for us, to pay for our sins so that we could become part of his family, so that we could be forgiven. So Jesus wasn't staying in Galilee in order to keep safe. Instead, Jesus was staying in Galilee because he knew that his time had not yet come. I think this becomes really clear when the brothers, his brothers, suggested that he would go to Jerusalem. The Feast of the Tabernacles was one of the biggest and most important feasts in the Jewish calendar. As well as celebrating the harvest, for seven days the people in Jerusalem all slept outside in temporary shelters. Eh, or tabernacles as they were called, made with tree branches. And they did this to commemorate the 40 years that the nation of Israel travelled around the wilderness after being rescued from Egypt. God had told them this, all native born Israelites are to live in booths so that your descendants will know that I made the Israelites live in booths when I brought them out of Egypt. So this week, living under uh, temporary shelters was to help them to remember how that God's presence was with them and how God had provided for them as they travelled around the desert, as the nation travelled around the desert for those 40 years. So in one way, it was very natural and very, very common or very, uh, not, not strange at all, that his brothers would suggest to Jesus that you ought to leave here and go to Judea. 
After all, lots of people were doing exactly the same thing. They were all leaving home and going to to Jerusalem to have this feast together. In fact, the brothers were doing that themselves as well. But Jesus refused to follow his brother's suggestion. He said to them in verse 8, You go to the feast. I'm not yet going up to this feast. He stayed in Galilee for a while longer. So he missed the start of the feast. And only after his brothers went, did Jesus go. First of all in secret, and then only halfway through the feast, did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. This was because, unlike his brothers, Jesus wasn't just doing what he wanted. Jesus wasn't just following his own ideas. Jesus was following his Father's will and his Father's timing. He said, the right time for me has not yet come. But for you, any time is right. Five times in the Gospel, John writes that Jesus' time had not yet come. The first of these, maybe you remember, is when Jesus was at the, a wedding at, in Cana and, and, and he said to his mum, my time has not yet come. Then later in the Gospel, three times John says that his time had come. So five times the time hadn't, hadn't come, three times his time had come. And each instance where John records that, he's talking about the time of the cross. Jesus' death on the cross. Which is the reason why Jesus came. The, the focus, the central point of Jesus' mission that the Father had given to him. So initially, Jesus stayed away from Jerusalem. Not because he was trying to avoid the cross. But rather because it wasn't time for the cross yet. He wasn't just doing whatever was easiest. Instead he was working according to God's schedule. He knew that it wasn't time for the cross yet. And so he continued to teach in God's word and demonstrate God's love in Galilee for a little longer. And I think this is a crucial lesson for us to learn in our lives too. We need to learn to follow God's timing. For example, when evil people seem to succeed in our lives, Psalm 37 encourages us not to panic, not to fret, but instead to be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And 1 Corinthians 4 and 5 says, Judge nothing before the appointed time, but wait until the Lord comes. So instead of demanding justice and retribution now, we can trust that at the proper time, God will give us what we need. Or maybe when it seems that our heart's desires are left unfulfilled, Psalm 145, verse 15, says about the Lord that the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper 
time. So instead of demanding satisfaction for all of our desires right now, we can trust that at the proper time, God will give us what we need. Or when it seems that nothing is coming, nothing is coming out of all of our commitment and effort in serving the Lord. And we just seem to be working so hard and nothing, we can't see any result because of it. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 tells us, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. We'll see the fruit of what we've done for the Lord, because nothing that we do for the Lord is ever in vain. But we'll see that fruit in His timing. Or when we struggle with illness or difficulties and we hear others say that if we just had enough faith we would be completely healed instantly and we would have everything that we longed for. Then Romans chapter 8 verse 23 tells us that we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we Wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We can rest in the truth that yes, there is horrible suffering now, but one day it will be over. Because we will see Jesus face to face and we will be like him. Or when it seems that this day The day of the Lord's return is taking forever to come. James 5 and 8 says, Be be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Instead of getting frustrated and losing hope, we can hold on to the truth that Jesus is coming back for us at the right time. I think there's so many aspects of how this is such a crucial lesson for us to learn. And the danger is that if we don't learn this lesson, then the results will always be disastrous in our lives. Three little examples from the scriptures. Take Abraham, for example. Abraham didn't want to wait for the fulfilment, any longer for the fulfilment of God's promise of a son through his wife Sarah. So he had a son through another woman, Hagar. And that just brought incredible pain and conflict into his family for years. Or think about Moses. He tried to force God's rescue mission of his people from slavery in Egypt by murdering a man. But instead of in, in instigating a revolution, he ended up in exile in Midian for another 40 years until it was God's time to bring his people out of Egypt. Or King Saul. 
He gets so tired waiting for a week for, for Samuel to arrive to offer a sacrifice to God for God's blessing in a battle they were facing that he just jumped into a role that God never gave him. And as a result, he lost the throne. And in our lives, if we rush into relationships that are not from God, if we try and force God's hand by fighting our battles in the wrong way, if we grab onto roles that we've not been called to or equipped for, or if we run ahead of God's timing in any other way, we can be sure that the result will always be a mess. We need to learn to wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. And wait for the Lord. But there's another reason why Jesus didn't want to follow the suggestion of his brothers. It wasn't just because the, the timing was wrong. It was because the, the brothers were refusing, Jesus' brothers were refusing to accept Jesus as God's teacher. Many people were confused about Jesus. Some thought that he is a good man. Perhaps they'd seen Jesus do some good works. And they concluded that only a morally upright man would be able to work like that. Others, they were offended by Jesus' teaching. They asked, how did this man get such learning without having studied? The teacher of the law, the Pharisees, they all, they all learned what they knew at rabbinic school, schools. But Jesus hadn't attended any college. So they couldn't understand how someone could be so knowledgeable without having the proper qualifications. Maybe you remember this is how so many people uh, reacted in Nazareth when they heard Jesus teach. They said, where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom that has been given to him? They were offended because Jesus obviously knew so much. Other people were very, even less complimentary. They thought Jesus was a dishonest man. They said, he deceives the people. And that was a really dangerous charge. Because the penalty of being a false prophet in, 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 the, in the law was actually the penalty of death. And then there were Jesus' brothers. When they suggested that Jesus should go to Jerusalem, they said it was so that your disciples would see, may see the miracles that you do. It was like they were saying, Jesus, this would be really good PR for you. To show the world what you can do. But that was not because they wanted lots of people to follow Jesus. Verse 5 says that even his own brothers did not believe in him. Can you imagine these? These men had grown up with Jesus. They'd watched his life. They'd experienced his love. They'd listened to his words. And yet they still refused. To believe in him. To trust in him. And so it seemed that they resented what he was doing and so questioned his motives. 
They said, no one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing those things, show yourself to the world. I think basically what they were saying is, Jesus, if you want to be famous, you need to get out of the here. You need to go down to the capital and you need to go public with your power. Don't keep quiet any longer. They were basically challenging him and and criticizing him because all he wanted was self-promotion. So they thought. But Jesus challenged all of these ideas about himself. As I've seen, Jesus claimed to be much more than a good man, didn't he? He said things like, I am the bread of life. Jesus claimed to be the, the basic requirement for life. The only one who can bring us salvation and satisfaction and security in our lives. He also said he wasn't a self-taught man. He didn't claim to be the source of his own teaching. Instead he said, my teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. Whatever Jesus said was from God. Jesus also said he wasn't a self-promoting man. He who speaks on his own does so to gain honour for himself. But he who works for the one who sent him is a man of truth. Jesus' focus was not his own glory, but the glory of the one who sent him. And so he was able to make this remarkable claim that there's nothing false about it. He claimed that he was completely honest. So this is the choice that the people there had about Jesus. And this is the same choice that each one of us have today. Was Jesus someone that we should just admire as a good man? Or was he someone to reject as a dishonest man who made up just some false teaching just to promote himself? Or was he someone that we should listen to? as the ultimate teacher sent from God. And it's the most important choice we'll ever make. If we want to follow God's plan for our lives, it's a crucial choice that we'll make. And John, in his Gospel, is absolutely clear what choice he wants us to make. He said he wrote this Gospel so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the choice that we're faced with today. Are we going to put our faith in Jesus? Are we going to accept him as God's teacher? (coughs) But how can we know for sure? How can we know for sure who Jesus really is? Well, finally in this passage, Jesus tried to give, us, give his audience some two helps to help them to know God's truth. By challenging two obstacles that are in the way of that. First of all, many people didn't believe in Jesus because it didn't fit in with their religious traditions. We've seen this before. On a previous visit to Jerusalem, 
Jesus had healed someone on the Sabbath day. Maybe you remember he was a guy who was lying by the pool and he couldn't get into the pool. He believed that he would be healed. But Jesus just healed him anyway. Healing somebody on the Sabbath day was against their interpretation of the law of God. So in their minds, healing was work, so you can't work on the Sabbath, so Jesus broke God's law. And so in their minds, that disqualified Jesus from being God's Messiah. But Jesus challenged this superficial interpretation by pointing out their own hypocrisy. He said that they themselves were the ones who are breaking God's law. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? The law prohibited murder. And yet the religious leaders were plotting to kill Jesus. Why? Well, Jesus said it's because he had shown up their wickedness. So how could they claim to be honouring the law and at the same time be breaking it? But that's not all. According to Moses and the patriarchs before him, each Jewish son was to be circumcised on the eighth day as a sign that they were part of God's covenant relationship between the Jewish people and him. And even this, if this eighth day was on the Sabbath, they would still go ahead with the circumcision, even although it was against their law of doing work on that day. And so Jesus said that if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing the whole man on the Sabbath? If these people would break their own religious rules for the sake of doing something good, like circumcision, why would they judge Jesus for doing something also, something good, for healing a whole man on the Sabbath day? So if they wanted to know the truth about Jesus, they needed a different assessment, a different way of looking at things. So Jesus said to them, stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Instead of just rejecting Jesus offhand because he didn't fit in with the religious traditions, they need to look deeper at this issue. More closely, think more carefully. And look at the evidence that proved who he was. I think we need to do the same and I think John wants us to do the same. Because many people today still reject the truth about Jesus because it doesn't fit in their, tradition, their religious traditions. They'll say something like, well that's not how I was brought up. That's not how my church, what my church says. That's not what most people think. But if we are going to know the truth, then we need to reject this superficial way of thinking, this simplistic way of thinking. And we need to face up to the reality of our own hypocrisy and see our need of the forgiveness that only Jesus can offer. We need that different way of looking at Jesus, a closer, more careful look at him. 
But that's not all. We don't just need a different assessment. We also need a different attitude. Verse 17, just to finish. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak my own. It's a really challenging verse. This is how we know the truth about who Jesus is. This is what Jesus said. If we submit to God, if we have a real, sincere willingness to do God's will, and if we come to Jesus with this attitude, then we will discover that Jesus' teaching really is from God. And that Jesus is who he claims to be. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. The controversy at the Feast of the Tabernacles was far from over. Next week we'll continue at looking at what, what was said. But here's what we've learned so far. If we are going to follow God's plan for our lives, then this is what we need to do. We need to be willing to wait on God's timing. We need to listen to God's teacher so that we can know God's truth.